Good evening, everyone. Welcome here to our uh, midweek service at Calvary Baptist Church of Trihern. And also welcome to those uh, in tune with us via, via internet and FM signal here in town. Welcome. Please open your hand now to number 34. Number 34. Immortal Invisible. <coughs> Number 34. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, enlightened, accessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious. Father, we are thankful that we can worship the true God, the immortal God, the one who never dies, the one who has no beginning and no end, the one who is the creator of all things. Thankful that we can know thee as our God and Savior through thy Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is also immortal. We're thankful that we have a Savior who is eternal and is able to save us and able to keep us. And we're thankful for providing us a place to meet and the promise that thy son made that he would build his church upon himself. And we pray that we would be a true church that would be built upon the truth and upon thy word. We ask that thy will be accomplished here, that we'd be a, a light shining in this dark place where we are, seeking to help others to know thy peace and forgiveness. We pray for the nation of Israel, continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that Mr. Netanyahu would get saved, many Jews would be saved, both in Israel and elsewhere. We pray for the Jews in Canada as they are facing 
threats from uh, many who are anti-Semite, and we pray that the Jews would see their need to move back to the land of Israel, where they need to be, and where they will uh, face the blessing of the Lord if they get saved. We do pray for <clears throat> thy will to be done amongst the Arab countries as well, that there would be Arabs that would get saved in these days of grace, that they too might realize the importance of truth in their lives and not continue to follow the lies that they've been raised under. We ask thy will be accomplished in <clears throat> regard to the situation in Ukraine as that war continues on and that the Christians in Ukraine and Russia would be faithful to thee. We do pray for those that have lost their homes, lost some family members. We pray that uh, people would be drawn to the truth and be saved in these days of grace. May thy will be accomplished through our ministry here that we would be faithful to thee and be able, to be able to help others to know thy forgiveness and blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And over to 275. 275. I belong to the King. 
number two, 280, 280, moment by moment. Number 280. <clears throat> Abides with me still, 
and turn to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8, we're going to read the first 12 verses there of that chapter. We'll stand please for the reading of God's word, Ezekiel chapter 8. Beginning there at verse 1, it says, And it came to pass in the sixth year, in the sixth month, in the fifth day of the month, as I sat in my house, and the elders of Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord fell there upon me. Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire. From the appearance of his loins, even downward, fire. And from his loins, even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. And he put forth the form of an hand, and took me by the lock of mine head, And the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven, and brought me in, brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north, and behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. He said furthermore unto me, Son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abominations that the house of Israel committed here? That, it, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. And he took me to the door of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall, and when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door. And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do, they do here. So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things, 
and abominable beasts, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. And there stood before them seventy men of the ancients of the house of Israel. And in the midst of them stood Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, with every man his censer in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? every man in the chambers of his imagery. For they say, The Lord seeth us not, and the Lord hath forsaken the earth. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful this evening that we have thy word, thankful for Ezekiel, a man of God who was taken captive, but a man of God who did not did not uh, turn away from thee and was not discouraged by what had happened to him. A man of God who was able to receive understanding as to what the God of heaven was doing. And a man of God who was also able to write these things down for our benefit. We thank thee that we still can have this same true God as our God who still is in charge of all things and who reminds us that there is no secret with thee. Everything that we think and do is all known to thee and even our worship is known to thee whether it's genuine, whether it's true or not. We're thankful that we can worship thee and we can glorify thee and we can serve thee faithfully. We ask that thou would guide and direct us as we look into this passage, may thy will be accomplished. And may we allow thee to lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> title of the message this evening is, No Secret with God. No Secret with God. In our present day, as we are studying Israel, the effects of the nation of Israel. And in our present day, Israel is continuously being under attack by Iran and its proxies. Hamas and Hezbollah are funded by Iran, so are the Houthis. There's a professor in BC that was fired recent, recently, I believe it was over the weekend, was fired for speaking at a protest after the original attack of October the 7th. This professor praised the Hamas attack and when that was found out she was suspended from her position uh, teaching at this college. However, a few days later she was reinstated and when she was reinstated she publicly stated that Obviously, she had done nothing wrong and uh, that they didn't press any charges against her and that all those people that were involved in the protest against Israel were also, they also had done nothing wrong. After she made that statement, then the college fired her. Now, since she's been fired, there's been a protest going on to uh, talk about how that she was not treated fairly and that she should not have been fired. But this type of anti-Semitism is rampant in Canada 
to the place where there are Jews in certain parts of this country that are fearful for their lives, especially college-age Jews who are spending time in college and university with anti-Semites, and the anti-Semites are quite vocal. Canada has taken a very ambiguous position when it comes to Israel, ambiguous in the sense that they speak out of both sides of their mouth, but by doing that, they have shown that they do not support Israel. And we've talked about that before. That's a very dangerous place for Canada to be at. No one wins in cursing Israel. And so it's important for those of us that are saved that we have a clear position in support of Israel, not because everything they do is right, because it's not, but they are God's chosen people. Hamas had no right to attack them on October the 7th. But I do believe that because of the debauchery that was going on in Israel at that time and has been going on, that God is judging Israel. And so the attack was not on an innocent people. <clears throat> and Israel has a right to defend itself, but they are not going to win this conflict with weapons. They're going to continue to struggle because of their defiance of the true God. In our text, Ezekiel is a captive. He's sitting in his house. His house, we've already learned in this book, is currently in Babylon. And that's where he's at. And our first point is the nature of Ezekiel's captivity. Ezekiel was a captive of the Babylonians. The Babylonians were not known to be nice people. But yet Ezekiel, it tells us here, was sitting in his house. So as a captive, the Babylonians have given Ezekiel a house to live in. He's not in his house in Jerusalem, as we're going to see. He's going to be taken to Jerusalem. But he's not in his house in Jerusalem. He's a captive by the river Kibar. But it tells us the time here. It says the sixth year in the sixth month in the fifth day of the month. So the sixth year would be the, since the captivity of Jehoiakim or Jeconiah, one of the last kings of Judah. The sixth month would be toward the end of August or the beginning of September on our calendar. And this vision that Ezekiel is going to be given is after the 390 days that he laid on his one side and the 40 days on the other side as a picture of the judgment of God upon Israel. Ezekiel, as I mentioned, was in his house. But he's also got other people in his house as well. He's not in a dungeon. He's not in a jail. He's in his house. He's got some freedoms. But it tells us also that the elders of Judah were with him. Now the elders would be a reference to some of the older men in Judah. Men who should know the law. Men who should know the fear of God in their hearts. We don't know what kind of men, what the nature of these men was. But obviously they had some affinity to him. They're in the house with him here. And it tells us here that 
as they are in this house, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon him. Now it's important here that as Ezekiel is a captive in Babylon, the Babylonian leadership doesn't have to keep him bound in chains. He's not a threat to them. Neither are these elders a threat to them. And that's important for us to understand as well. Again, we can make application to many things in the Bible. And uh, we've talked in the past about the protests that have taken place in Canada regarding ungodly laws that our government has passed, and they are ungodly laws. But we can see that there are men in Canada who profess to be Christian men, they profess to be pastors, who decided to go out and protest at different places in Calgary and in uh, Ontario and several places and so on. And some of those men were arrested. Some of them had their churches locked up. Some of them had to pay hefty fines in order to get their churches back. And personally, I don't believe that those men were following the will of God. They were a threat to the government in a way that they didn't need to be. Now, we are a threat to the government in the sense that we preach the word of God. And in preaching the word of God, we expose the heresy and the evil of our governments. But we're not going out into the streets and blocking traffic and trying to shut down businesses and so on, because that doesn't help. That just infuriates the government and causes them to go on the attack. And so that's not the way that we should operate as Christians. Ezekiel, here in the Old Testament, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, they did not go out and protest. They preached the word of God. And Ezekiel was a man of God who was writing the things of God and would be speaking to his own people more than he would be to the Babylonians. We see here, as I mentioned as well, that the hand of the Lord God fell upon Ezekiel, not upon the elders, but upon Ezekiel. Now again, notice we have the words there, Lord God. The word Lord, capital L, small O-R-D, that's Adonai, that's A-D-O-N-A-I, and that is one of the proper names of God. And it speaks of his authority as a master. God, all capitalized here, is Jehovah. That's the self-existent God. So Ezekiel here is telling us, and he is realizing this is who is speaking to him. The hand of the Lord fell there upon me. So Ezekiel is being chosen here for another message that God wants to give him that is of significance for him and for the Jews and for us today. So we see the second thing that we see is the nature of this vision. And so in verse 2 it says, Then I beheld, and lo, a likeness as the appearance of fire. Fire in the Bible has a couple of symbolic references. It speaks of holiness. It also speaks of judgment. And so Ezekiel here 
sees the likeness. Notice that it's the likeness as the appearance of fire. It's not fire itself. Ezekiel and these elders would not remain seated in this house if there was an actual fire. They would have got burned up. So he sees the appearance of fire as the appearance of fire from the appearance of his loins. So now we know that this likeness that he's seeing is a man. But it's not just a man, it's an angel that appears as a man. And so it tells us from his loins, even downward, fire. So from the loins, that's your waist area. He's seeing this man, this angel, appearing before him like fire. From his loins, even upward, as the appearance of brightness, as the color of amber. Now, amber, that's kind of a bronze-type color and shiny. So it also has similar appearance to a fire, but it's not fire. But again, it's, it's a very clear picture that God is giving Ezekiel here of this messenger that God has sent to speak and to direct Ezekiel in what's coming. So in verse 3, it tells us, And he put forth the form of an hand and took me by a lock of mine head. So again, it tells us here, he put forth the form of an hand. So it's not actually a hand, but the form of an hand. So Ezekiel is describing it as that. This is now the angel. In verse 1, it was the Lord, the hand of the Lord God that fell there upon him. But now it's the angel that is putting forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head. Now, in uh, years gone by, I don't know about in the Philippines, but I know in Canada, in years gone by, there was a time when men and boys, would, when they got their hair cut, they would have a little bit of a tail at the back. Not a ponytail, but there was a little part of their hair that they didn't cut. They let it grow a little bit longer. And the reason for that, which probably a lot of people that did it don't know, but the reason for that was because the design came from ungodly people who believed that they need to have this little bit of a tail so that the spirit could grab a hold of them. That was the purpose behind that tail. And here... The Bible tells us that this angel grabbed Ezekiel by the lock of his head. So Ezekiel's hair would not have been long, because it's a shame for a man to have long hair. But it would have been long enough that this angel could take a hold of his hair, not his hand, and take him in the spirit and move him to Jerusalem. So, very interesting how that even ungodly people, they go into the Bible, they copy certain things from the Bible, they distort them, and they use them for their evil purposes. And it's important for us, rather than when we see something right away saying, oh, I like that, I'm going to copy that, we need to first figure out what is this about. So here in verse 3 again, tells us that this this angel 
put forth the form of an hand and took me by the lock of mine head. And the spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. So Ezekiel is going in spirit, just like John in the New Testament was in spirit in heaven. Here, Ezekiel is by the spirit being taken to Jerusalem. So his body is still sitting there in his house, but his spirit is not there. He's being taken, it says, between the earth and the heaven, so he's flying. He's moving through the air. And it says, brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem. So it's very clear that Ezekiel is being given a vision from God. And it's, it's clear it's the visions of God. It's not something that he's imagining. He's not hallucinating. He's not like Joseph Smith or some of the other uh, pagans out there who get themselves into a trance and then they see a vision. Ezekiel here is a man of God. And God is taking him in a vision, in the spirit, to Jerusalem. But he's taking him to a specific place in Jerusalem. It says there that in verse 3, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north, where was the seat of the image of jealousy, which provoketh to jealousy. So God is taking Ezekiel here in the spirit to the temple. The temple, most likely, this is one of the earlier raids of the Babylonians. It's still standing, and Ezekiel is taken to the temple, to the north gate of the temple, and at that gate, he is shown something that is there which should not be anywhere in Judah, but not in the temple either. And that was the image of jealousy. So there's an idol that's in the temple. The image of jealousy. God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he says, I'm a jealous God. So when man makes something else his God, that causes God to be jealous. When the nation of Israel, who were given the Ten Commandments, when they would worship idols, God would be jealous. And we know that when Manasseh was the king, that he introduced and he brought idolatry into Judah in a very great way. But we also know that Josiah was the king after Manasseh, not directly after, but he was after Manasseh. And we know that Josiah did some house cleaning, some spiritual, some religious house cleaning in Israel in Judah. So it seems to me that the kings that came after Josiah, they again brought back idolatry into the temple and into Jerusalem as part of their rebellion against God. And that's why God was punishing them, not just for their acts, but for the acts of the nation of Israel for many years. So in verse 4, it says, And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, according to the vision that I saw in the plain. So, <clears throat> God 
has not at this point completely removed himself from Jerusalem. Because Ezekiel in verse 4 beholds the glory of the God of Israel at the temple. So God is still here at least some of the time. He will eventually remove himself from the temple completely. And that's why the Babylonians will be able to take it and destroy it. But at this point, he is still there. And so it tells us in verse 4, Behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there according to the vision that I saw in the plain. So it's the same God that he saw earlier in the book of Ezekiel in the plain. And we read about that in the earlier chapters of the book of Ezekiel. And the third point is God's word to Ezekiel. What did God have to say to Ezekiel? Verse 5. Then said he unto me, Son of man, lift up thine eyes now the way toward the north. So I lifted up mine eyes the way toward the north. And behold, northward at the gate of the altar, this image of jealousy in the entry. So again, Ezekiel is telling us what he saw and what God wanted him to see. And notice here, we've mentioned it before, but Ezekiel is going to be addressed many times as son of man. He's being reminded of God, of who he is. He's a son of man. He's not a God. He's a son of man. But he's a special son of man because he believes in the true God. And so as he looks to the north, he sees by the altar, it tells us, this image of jealousy in the entry. So everyone coming and going through that gate in the north side of the temple is going to pass by this image of jealousy. Not a good thing. And then in verse 6, it tells us, He said, Furthermore unto me, son of man, seest thou what they do? Even the great abomination that the house of Israel committed here, that I should go far off from my sanctuary, but turn thee yet again, and thou shalt see greater abominations. So God is telling Ezekiel here that the Jews are driving God away from his sanctuary. The temple was to be the house of God. It was where the people were supposed to come to meet with God. And yet here, the angel is telling Ezekiel that <clears throat> the people were driving him away, that I should go far off from my sanctuary. The Jews did not want God in their midst. And now God says to Ezekiel, turn thee yet again and thou shalt see greater abomination. So in verse 7, and he brought me to the door of the court and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. So there's a hole here. The temple is in disrepair. There's a hole in the wall and God says to him, or the angel says to him in verse 8, Then said he unto me, Son of man, dig now in the wall. And when I had digged in the wall, behold, a door 
So you know how it is when you see a little hole, sometimes children, they have a little hole in their clothing. Instead of leaving it alone, they play with the hole until it gets bigger and bigger. And eventually you've got a big, big hole in the pants or in the shirt or whatever. Or there's a hole somewhere else and then people have to pick at it all the time until it becomes much bigger than if it was just left alone. But here God tells Ezekiel to dig in that hole. Open it up. Because what was going on here was that the Jews, and we'll see further who these Jews were, these Jews were trying to hide something from God. They thought they were hiding from him. And now Ezekiel is told to open it up and take a good look. Keep in mind that Ezekiel is in the spirit, so they're not seeing him. But he's seeing what they're doing. In verse 9, And he said unto me, Go in, and behold the wicked abominations that they do here. So Ezekiel makes the hole big enough so that he can go through that hole. So in verse 10, So I went in and saw, and behold, every form of creeping things and abominable beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. It's very interesting how the ungodly work and how the occult works and so on. But you notice here in verse 10 that there was every form of creeping thing. The ungodly, they have an attraction to snakes and to lizards and that kind of thing. The Bible depicts a snake as, you know, Satan. First time he talks about the serpent, he talks about him as Satan. And yet the ungodly, they have an attraction to snakes. And here, the ungodly in Jerusalem, they have an attraction to creeping things and every abominable beast. Now there were certain beasts that God said the nation of Israel was not to have in their presence. And yet here, they have these beasts and these creeping things, it tells us, and all the idols of the house of Israel portrayed upon the wall round about. So again, keep in mind that this is after the time that Josiah brought about his reforms in the temple. He had done a lot of work in cleaning up the ungodliness that was in that place. And yet here, when Ezekiel goes in here, it's all there. And then it tells us further to that in verse uh, 11, well, let's go, let's first of all, let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7 as we look at verse 10. Now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7 and uh, notice what Jeremiah was directed by God to write there about the nation of Israel. Jeremiah chapter 7 and in verse 30, it says, For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. So they've done evil in the Lord's sight. Then we go to chapter 32, Jeremiah chapter 32. 
Jeremiah, of course, is writing during the time of Zedekiah, one of the last kings of the nation of Judah. So he would have been a contemporary of, of uh, Ezekiel, chapter 32, and verse 34. And it says there, But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. So again, God is speaking through Jeremiah here and reminding him and reminding the people that the temple was his house. They had no right to defile it. You look at verse 35 there, it says, And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire unto Molech, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my mind, that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. So the nation of Israel was, Judah in particular here, was in bad shape because of the choices they were making. And notice now in verse 11, then in our text there, Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 11, and there stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel. Now you remember back in the days of Moses that the people were coming to Moses all day long. From morning till evening, people were standing in front of him because they had questions, they had issues that needed to be dealt with, and Moses was tied up from morning till evening dealing with the needs of the people. And first his father-in-law counseled him that he needed to get some help. He would burn out if he didn't get some help. And then later God told him to choose out 70 men from the nation of Israel to assist him. They would take care of the smaller details and leave the bigger items for him to deal with. So we have 70 men that God said that Moses should choose and that practice continued on. Later on in the history of the nation of Israel they had the Sanhedrin which was developed out of that the Sanhedrin was also 70 men. These men, again, just as in the time of Moses, they were supposed to be men who were knowledgeable of the law of God. They were supposed to be God-fearing men who could then give God's judgment on the matters affecting the people. But here it tells us that these 70 men are involved in wickedness. There stood before them 70 men of the ancients of the house of Israel, and in the midst of them stood Jeazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Now, Shaphan was the man who read the law of God to Josiah when he was the king. But now we see the son of Shaphan, Jeazaniah, he is a wicked man. He's an ungodly man. He didn't follow the teachings of his father. And so all of these men, including Jeazaniah, these 70 men, and interestingly, later on in the history of the nation of Israel, when the Septuagint was put together, the Septuagint being the Old Testament translated into Greek, and it was 70 men that were used to 
translate the Hebrew into the Greek of the old, for the Old Testament. Now, the Septuagint, we're not going to go into detail, but the Septuagint is a corrupt translation of the Old Testament. Many of the perversions refer to the Septuagint when they translated their corrupt text. But the Septuagint was not a trusted version of the Old Testament. There are people who suggest that Jesus quoted from the Septuagint. Well, I doubt that very much because it was a corrupted text. <clears throat> but we can look at that another time. But here we see that these men, they each have a censer in their hand. And it says that there was a thick cloud of incense went up. Now it's interesting, earlier in the history of the nation of Israel, you remember back when God gave the law to Aaron in regard to some of the practices that were to be carried out by the high priest in the, in the tabernacle, that Nadab and Abihu, two of Aaron's sons, they took their censer and they put strange fire in their censers and God struck them dead. Yet here, these 70 men are doing the same thing. They're playing around with something that's to be holy and they're using it to worship their idols. We see that in verse 10. They've got every creeping thing. They've got abominable beasts. They've got idols in the whole house of Israel portrayed upon the wall. So they've got carvings on the wall. They've got paintings on the wall. They've got all this idolatry on the walls and these people are worshiping that. These are the elders, the ancients of Israel, the ones who should know the law the ones who should be directing the people and directing the king, but they are here working in secrecy, trying to suggest that God doesn't see them, and we'll see that in verse 12 as well. And it reminds me, as we look at this, it reminds me of what we have going on in our time and for quite some time now with the Masonic Lodges and even with the Catholic religion. There's a lot of secrecy in the Catholic religion, and there's a lot of secrecy amongst the Masons. And here we see that same thing here in the temple in the time of Ezekiel. But God is showing Ezekiel that this practice has been going on for a long time in Israel because he refers here to the ancients of the house of Israel. This is not young men. This is men who should have known better. These are men who would have been alive during the time of Josiah. And yet here's what they're doing. They're working in secrecy. Remember that Ezekiel had to dig a hole in the wall. He had to dig that wall out. And there he saw the door that would open up and show him what was going on in the secrecy of this area of the temple. Now, these 70 men thought they were doing it in secret, but God knew all about it. So in verse 12, it says there, Then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the chambers 
of his imagery. For they say, the Lord seeth us not. The Lord hath forsaken the earth. That's the, that's the attitude of these 70 men who should have been walking in the fear of God, but they're pagans. And their attitude is that God doesn't see us. Notice the word Lord is all capitalized. And the Lord hath forsaken the earth. So they believe that God isn't even around. When God here is showing Ezekiel exactly what's going on. So you see, it's all in your perspective. The ungodly, they look at life a lot differently than the godly do. Ezekiel, being the man of God, was taken by this angel in his spirit to Jerusalem to see what was actually going on in the temple. These pagan men, they were worshiping idols, thinking that God was nowhere to be found. Now, they might have assumed that because the Babylonians were invading, and where was God? But the problem was that the nation of Israel had forsaken God. And so they were trying to have their form of God along with their idols, very much like New Evangelicalism today, very much like a lot of religions today. They want to suggest that they believe in God, but the God that they believe in isn't identifiable from the Bible. It's not the same God. And there's a lot of churches today that have driven God out. The church of Laodicea in the book of the Revelation, Jesus is standing outside knocking to gain entrance. There are a lot of churches today that are in that same place. The Lord is on the outside. He's wanting to get in, but he isn't allowed in. I was talking with a man just the other day who was talking about how that he's got a, a situation in his life that he's trying to figure out and he is asking God to give him direction. Uh, but the problem is that that man has, has his own version of God, but it's not the true God. It's not the God of the Bible. And I've talked to him about that before, but he doesn't want to hear that. He's only interested in hearing about God when it's in accordance with what he believes about God. But you see, we have to take the God of the Bible and we have to learn about him from the Bible. And we have to make sure that what we believe about God is what he actually says about himself in the Bible. These men, these 70 men, who should have been the spiritual leaders of the nation of Judah, they were steeped in idolatry. They couldn't help themselves, never mind anyone else. Now Ezekiel, in our text, he wasn't told to go back to Jerusalem and preach the word and bring about a revival there. He was simply taken there in the spirit to see the wickedness that was going on. He obviously had not seen this before he was taken captive to Babylon. But now he's being taken back there and God is preparing Ezekiel in these opening chapters, he's preparing Ezekiel to speak to the captives 
in Babylon as well as in Jerusalem. So God is showing Ezekiel all these things to prepare him for the work that's ahead of him. And you know, it's important for us today, those of us that are saved, we need to have our eyes open as well so that we can see what's actually going on. There are a lot of people who profess to be Christians today who are in the dark, just like these men were in the dark here. It says in, uh, which verse was that here? Uh, where it talked about what they were doing in the dark. Oh yeah, verse 12. Then, then said he unto me, Son of man, hast thou seen what the ancients of the house of Israel do in the dark? Now they were in the dark physically, but they were also in the dark spiritually. And there are a lot of people today who are in the dark physically, but they're also in the dark spiritually. They talk about God, they talk about Jesus, but it's not the God of the Bible, and it's not the Jesus of the Bible. They prove that with the music that they use, they prove that with the language that they speak, they prove that with the way that they dress, they prove that they don't know the true God. And so they are void of any help. They can't even help themselves. So for those of us that are saved, we need to be sure that we're walking with the Lord as we ought to be so that we can be a help to others. So that we can be directed by God to see what's going on and that we can address that and that we can be sure that we're walking right ourselves and then that we can be a help to others as they need to also learn how to walk with God according to his word, that they need to identify with the true God. That's one of the greatest things. We are living in a time now where paganism is, is abounding and fewer and fewer people know who the true God is. And so it's important for us to know the true God and to seek to remind people of who the true God is so that they can turn to him and follow him rather than continuing on in their false religion that is so common in our world today. So again, Ezekiel, given this message, given this vision to prepare him, we are given the opportunity to study this to help us to see that we can examine ourselves and make sure that we are not involved in the corruption that's so common in our day, but that we can actually be a help to others and help them to see the importance of truth in their lives. So it is important for us to take the word of God as our standard, as our authority, and to show others what the truth is. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're thankful again for Ezekiel, for his willingness to be a man of God, to believe in the true God, and we're thankful for the message that he was given, the calling that was placed upon him, and how that he was recording these things for the sake of his own people, but also for our purposes today, that we can understand, as we have already noted, that as the attack took place on October the 7th, we can see that Israel 
was not just hiding what they were doing, but they were openly living in sin, openly worshiping Buddha, and then shocked when Hamas was able to come in and kill over a thousand people and take a large number of hostages yet as well. And to this day, those hostages, some of them are still being kept locked away. We do pray for those hostages. We pray, Father, that if there's lost ones, and probably all are, pray that they might call upon thee and be forgiven and saved. Pray, if it's thy will, that they be released. We pray also for their captors, that they might get saved. And as Israel continues to work in the Gaza area, pray for many soldiers there, that they would get saved, and that they would also see the importance of truth in their lives. And for the captives that are being taken, the Arab captives, that they might also see the need to turn to the truth to know thy peace and forgiveness. We're thankful that we can know the truth. We have thy word. I pray that we would be careful that we would follow what thy word says and build our lives upon truth. We pray for anyone listening that's not saved, that they might see the need to turn to thee and be forgiven and saved today and not to continue on in their ungodly ways, but to know thy forgiveness and thy truth in these days of grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.